0: Welcome to the Ecclesia Global Podcast, where we believe in the sovereign move of the Lord to reform the church and the spheres of society globally. All right, so what we're going to talk about is Revelation in particular, um, the function of Revelation and how it fits in the framework of reclaiming an apostate generation, okay? So I want you to have that 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 mindset. I want you to um, look at it through that lens, Um I wanna be aware and cognizant of the time as well because I know that you know you all are gonna be hungry. I know we're tired. I appreciate you all being awake. I appreciate the coffee ministry um, waking you all up, that prophetic caffeine so it can keep you alert. Um, but I wanna to talk to you all and teach you all today. All right, so um, go with me to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 2. We're gonna read verse um, 17, actually we're gonna read verse 12 And then we're going to skip to verse 17. Now, I don't want you to call me a heretic because I'm not reading the full scriptures through. But um, I'll put some meat to it because I know there's some biblical scholars here today. Um, But 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12 is the first scripture that we're going to read. And then we're going to jump to 17. And then we're going to jump to chapter 3 and read verse 1. I'll give you a minute to find that. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12. you have it, just simply say, I got it. All right. We're going to read out of the new King James. Um, it says this, it says, now the sons of Eli were corrupt in the new, in the King James version, it says they were the sons of Belial. All right. Um, but this particular translation says now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord skipping down to verse 17. Therefore, the sin, someone say sin, sin of the young men. Someone say young men. Was very great before the Lord, for men abhor the offering of the Lord. Um, now skipping down to chapter three of First Samuel, we're going to read. It says this: Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Remember that frame of uh, that word, that phrase: the word of the Lord was rare. Or in the King James, it says, precious. In those days, there was no widespread revelation. All right. There was no widespread revelation. Um, And it came to pass at that time while Eli was lying down in his place and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see. Those are the two scriptures. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for what we're going to do today. And we bless you in Jesus name. Amen. All right. So a few things that we want to pull out of it. Chapter two of first Samuel, it says one that the sons of, of sons of Eli were corrupt. They didn't know the Lord. Yet they were priests, all right? That's a problem. And then it also says that down, further down, it said these young men, it calls them young men for a particular reason. But the key that I want you to understand is that these were young men who were priests, who were prophets, who were judges, who were executioners of God's law and his principles. They were in a position of leadership, and they didn't know the Lord, all right? Now, the framework that I want to talk to you all about today, again, is reclaiming an apostate generation. So here's the thing Um, we are a generation, and you can agree with me, and uh, Minister Serline kind of hit it. We are a generation or age that is spiritual. Can we agree with that? Where we know what spirituality means. However, we have different interpretations of that spirituality, we have multiple streams of that spirituality, and we have a means of communicating in the spirit realm. In the supernatural world, supernatural is it simply is the spirit realm. So there are different realms and dynamics and dimensions in the spirit realm. There's good and there's evil, and then you can break it down in those two cate- break it down those categories of whatever you know streams or whatever so on and so forth. But however, we are a generation that we know what it means to tap in. The question that comes into mind is: Is that what frequency are we tapping into? All right, is that making sense thus far? So, we are a spiritual generation. We know of God, but we deny the power. Um, Minister Serling talked about how millennials, um, they don't know their identity, and that lack of identity can impact their spirituality. So we have different people who are in church, we have people who love God, but their means of worship and their means of operating in the supernatural is demonic because their identity has not been grounded in God. That makes sense? So we know how to prophesy. We know prophecy. However, the issue, again, is the frequency. This house, Ecclesia, if you look at the prophetic as a stream, it comes from a source. All right? We as a church have to be that rock that directs and navigates that stream. So today I'm the rock. Today you're the rock. So when you look at a stream, I'm not a nature person at all. I don't like camping. I don't like outdoors like that. I'm an air-conditioned child. I'm, a, I'm generation AC. Um, so, But what I know is, is that when a stream flows, it is navigated by what's in the stream. But it also picks up what's in the stream. You got me? So we as Ecclesia, as the body of Christ, have to understand that our job is to be guardians and custodians of the prophetic. Therefore, we become rocks, we become boulders, where we place ourselves, where we are, will navigate the stream of the prophetic in the house of God. So what we have right now is this open stream. We have an open source where it is impacting and infiltrating the church, I'm using that word strategically, and words that are coming across the pulpit, words that are coming across the microphone are words that have an element of spirituality because it's coming from a source. However, what is the source? Now, it's not my role today to talk about the prophet and its office and so on and so forth, but just to pull from a minute, what comes out of you will impact who you minister to. You got me? If I can give you an example, and I've seen this at times where, um, I see a lot of weird stuff at times. When someone is speaking and their heart is right, oftentimes I will see white light come out of their mouth or white mist, or like a gold, bright, um, luminous mist coming out of their mouth because their source, their heart is right. But other times I've seen people speak and a purple, dark mist has come out of their mouth. And so it's as if you've ever been to or had a conversation with a close talker and they got that ministry where they like to spit and they don't know it, all right? So if you can relate that to when someone speaks a word over you, and they're spitting on you, and if their source is corrupt, you're getting all of that stuff on you, all right? And we, because we're, we are so open and receptive to what God says and what we want, we want a word of the Lord, we are lifting our hands in submission. We're surrendering to that. And so if the source, again, isn't right, then whatever the source releases impacts the person that the word is spoken over. Am I making sense today? All right? So within the church, hear this, there's a prophetic stream, and it flows how it wants, and it picks up what's in its way. There's no direction. All right? So we have to be the rock. This is the framework. We are in a place and a time where the prophetic word, hear this, has been diluted to fit a culture as opposed to the prophetic word shaping the culture. Write this down, prophets. Prophets. Prophets challenge ideologies. An ideology is what shapes cultures, all right? An ideology is what shapes cultures. Over in 1 Kings 18, you see where Elijah said, how long will you halt between what? Two opinions, or another word for that, two thoughts. Jezebel and Ahab, which I'll get to later on, created a culture based off of the ideology of mixture in worship, all right? If you remove the black church folklore about Jezebel is a woman who wears a lot of makeup, so on and so forth, you understand that this is a principality that created a system that challenged the mindset of a nation and it caused a system to create a religious system, which created a prophetic system, which created a worship system, which gave honor to a deity under the guise of God. I mean, y'all know that in New Life. Y'all, y'all know that. This is review. And so you have to understand that the prophets and the prophetic word that came forth out of that system, hear this now, was words that gave adoration and adulation to a false deity. What the Lord has shared with me is that we have a system, a prophetic system in the church that has prophets that eat at the table of Jezebel and they don't know it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We have words of the Lord, words of knowledge, the gift of prophecy, words of wisdom that people are getting so-called revelation from, so-called blessed from, and getting, hear this now, breakthrough from. But the system is Jezebelic. Why do you say that? Because there's a mixture that says it's okay to prophesy, but I can still live any old kind of way. Are you hearing me? And now we have a generation, millennials, who operate in dark power that access a word and pull that revelation out of the spirit realm release it on the people there's some kind of substance to that word and it's bringing some kind of breakthrough in theory but yet it does not cause the prophet or the prophetic person to live a lifestyle of purity and holiness because they're seeing results are you hearing me so we base results saying that that result is God as opposed to understanding that it is the spirit realm. And God cannot just solely be based on your results. You have to check, again, what? The source. Am I making sense today? All right? So we have a result-driven generation in the church, in the house of God, that because it's accurate, that means it's anointed. Hmm? And so... Your accuracy denotes your um, tenure in the church prophetic. Are you getting me? All right. So prophets, hear this now, they challenged ideologies. So how long will you halt between two opinions? So here's the thing. And this is the amazing thing, that if we have a Jezebelic system that has its own prophets and own prophetic words and own means of worship and own culture, in its own economy, that means that according to that system, things are going well. Nothing is wrong, but God will send a prophet or a prophetic word to disrupt systems. You may want to write that down, prophets. So if you feel the unction and the ism in your stomach, in your belly, and things that you see are bothering you, it is a good indication that God is raising you up to speak against a mountain. Okay? So we are seeing now the emergence of Elijah types, that God is raising up with a word that is challenging the ideology of the prophetic system that has been in place, hear me now, that is challenging or causing the people to halt between two opinions that word halt in that scripture it means to dance or to limp that means no stability so we have a prophetic system that is causing people to be handicapped hmm this is my this is my my genre this, I know this stuff so that's why it's easy to say so we have a people I can't dance so I'm not going to try we have a people who two step between an ideology of living holy and living whorish. But there's no accountability saying that one is wrong and one is right because no one has declared how long will you halt between an ideology that will say it's okay to live a certain way or live any way that you want to live, and then you can give a word of the Lord. Hmm? So hear this now. Write this down. Revelation is a precious commodity. If you are a prophetic house, revelation is a precious commodity. Revelation is one of the most precious economies in your walk. Where there is revelation, people prosper. But where there is no revelation, they perish. All right? Now, in John 1.1, because I want to be obedient to the title that I've been given It says in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. That word is capital W-O-R-D, Logos. Someone say Logos. Logos is the expressed intelligence or mind of God. Logos, if I can make it simple, how many of you all are business owners or entrepreneurs? Let me see your hands. All right? Um, In you was that thought, right? That's your logos. Your logos becomes rhema when it manifests and comes to fruition. Are you hearing me? So, your business is your intelligence, and when it is expressed, that word becomes flesh, or that word becomes life, or that word comes to pass. So, when God said in Genesis, Let there be light, his thought was expressed. And it was released and it began to shape. As a prophet or prophetic person, the thoughts and minds of God or whatever's in your heart, when you speak it, it releases and it begins to shape. So what you speak literally is what you create. You hearing me? So when I speak something, I am speaking the expressed intelligence of what is in me and it is coming to life and I'm shaping my reality. If, if 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 you can understand that, that's that's what God. That's John one one. So revelation. Write this down. Revelation is accelerated knowledge. All right. Revelation is accelerated knowledge. In that scripture in in First Samuel chapter three verse one, where it says there was no wise for revelation, that word revelation it means divine communication. All right. Prophecy. But if we can just make it into modernize it. Revelation is accelerated, supernaturally accelerated knowledge or disclosure of truth. All right. So if we can give the analogy. What would have taken 10 months? A prophetic word can make it happen in 10 days. And so it accelerates the knowledge of 10 months and brings it into 10 days so that it can manifest. Are you hearing me? So revelation is a precious commodity because it accelerates information and brings it to disclosure quickly, more quicker than what it would have originally had. All right, some of us—it's—it's—it's—it's—was words that you may receive ten years ago, or you received ten days ago, whatever, what have you, the time frame is. When that word came, it unlocked things in you and caused you to be accelerated. Am I making sense? I know in this house that is, that is the case. So the next point of revelation, revelation, hear this, is eternity released from heaven. Revelation is eternity released from heaven. The Lord's Prayer. As it is in heaven, let it be in earth. Now, if we can, if you can forgive me for a moment and and bear with me as I not put scripture to this, we understand that God operates out of time. God operates in eternity. There is no beginning and there is no end. All right? We operate in what? Time. So when a prophetic word or a revelation comes, it is eternity. And I like to say it's eternity weaponized, where that eternity comes down and it disrupts your natural and it displaces whatever has been your natural circumstances. And it aligns you with what God has already said in eternity. Y'all got that? So, revelation comes and it busts up all the goons and the spiritual strategies and demonic blueprints that have disrupted your life. It disrupts the disruption, if you will, and it resets and puts in order what it is that God intended for you. So, when I speak a word over your life, or when you speak a word over your own life, that revelation comes. And it busts up systems, it busts up strongholds and imaginations, it comes against dominions, mights and powers and thrones, and it causes them to be displaced in order for what God originally intended for you to come to pass. Why does the Bible say to war with your prophecies? Your prophecies are a weapon. Your revelation is a weapon. It destroys and dismantles what Satan had put over your life before you were formed in your mother's womb. Am I making sense? So prophecy is connected to deliverance. So you cannot separate the two. But we have denominations who deny prophets, but they encourage deliverance. But prophecy is a means of deliverance. Hmm? All right. Revelation supersedes the natural. That's another point. It causes, hear this, it causes what is. Your what is is what's now. It causes your what is to submit to what is to become, all right? So your present, if it is not lining up with God's trajectory for your life, revelation comes and it brings your future, your perfect future, to your now and causes your now to submit to what God intended, all right? Building my case for the importance of revelation. So hear this. When the supernatural is removed from revelation, it becomes information. All right? So Now, and this is the scenario in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Now to give you some biblical context. We are seeing a system in Eli's day where he was the priest. The priest was the bridge or the mediator between the heavenly realms and the natural realm. So that means that they operated in the prophetic they operated as a judge. The priest was the go-between, all right? The priest was the filter or the um, conduit that God spoke through, but also the people sent their petitions through. So there was, and you can study Leviticus on your own if you already know, the priestly standard was you had to live a certain way, or lest you would die, all right? Now, Eli has set up a system where his sons have taken over, and his sons are the priests. But the scripture says that they were sons of Belial. They didn't know God. And then it says these young men abhorred the Lord and had, and caused, and had great sin. Now, that word young, young men, in 2 Samuel 2, 17, or excuse me, 20, it, it's, it's the word, it means babe. It means immature. It means a boy. Now this is going back to what Minister Sterling said. What I want you to understand is, is that in this age, because we are living in an Eli system with Jezebelic tendencies where we have set up priests who are immature and they don't have tenure in the spirit. They don't have tenure in ministry. They don't have tenure. They don't have grit or credibility when it comes to representing the sacred office of God. But they're gifted. They're talented. They can prophesy. They're young. There was many times that I went to travel and preach that I was thrown in front of a crowd because I was young, but didn't know that I had an old man spirit about me. But we have created a system that promotes gifted prophetics who have access to revelation, but they are sons of Belial. Are you hearing me? That word Belial, it means wicked. So these are sons. That word son, it says sons of Eli in uh, either 12 or 17. That word son is the characteristics of the father. So we have, hear this, people who are moving in the characteristics, or they have the DNA of their source. Now it says that they are sons of Eli, yet they're sons of Belial. So they have the DNA of their father, but they're moving in the ministry of wickedness. So we now have a system that promotes prophetic people who are sons on paper, but their DNA is wicked. And we have these wicked sons delivering and administrating prophetic words on God's people, and it is causing a system of chaos and catastrophic, cataclysmic circumstances to be above houses of God. Am I making sense? And so these young men, these boys who were babes and immature, it says that they were young men put in positions of leadership that they haven't been proven. Your revelation has not been tested. Revelation, write this down, is subjective. subjective. What I see and what you see are different things, even though we see the same thing. I can say Apostle Tori's shirt is red, while other ones can say it's blood orange. It's my revelation, and it's interpretive upon what it's subjected to what I've interpreted versus what you see. And so we have a system and an age and a culture that interprets revelation according to their lens, according to their hearts. According to what they see. But if we have a people who are wicked, if we have a people who don't know God but are in God's positions or positions of authority, that's a problem. Someone say revelation. revelation. So these young men were put in positions of leadership that they haven't been proven, so on and so forth. What we have now, and this is an earmark of the generation prior to the millennials, we have pushed gifts and talents at the expense of a lack of character development. When I was raised, my mom and my father, who are my, um, my, our pastors back in Michigan, they taught us that character, you have to build your character first before your gift. So I could be gifted all day, but I had to learn through sitting down, being rebuked, praying, fasting, being broken, stripped, so on and so forth, in order to release that word. It was so drilled into me that I was trained wherever I go to just be ready, worship at home, worship in your car, because you never know if you're gonna go into a dry church who has the cracker crumb ministry, where it's just dry bread. You don't know if you're gonna go into a house where they are in uh, turmoil, that you have to deliver a word, so come ready. So whether the worship is high or not, I had to be ready. That's what I was taught. But now we have people who are gifted and they're doing amazing things. They're doing amazing things in the spirit realm, and that is causing people to overlook the fact that they need their character developed. Prophets have to wrestle with the spirit, the orphan spirit, because in our DNA, we're emotional, we're temperamental, we're moody. We always have that rejection complex that we deal with because we see it in Elijah. I'm the only one left, there's no one left. God, just take me or do worse to me than my father's. I'd rather just die under this juniper tree, so on and so forth. You really don't know that Elijah was dealing with a suicide spirit in that particular scripture, but that's another lesson. And so we wrestle with all of these emotional things and we wrestle with rejection. And so there's a fine line between understanding that sometimes you have to stand alone and sometimes you're dealing with a spirit that is an orphan spirit, all right? So we have gifts. We have talents, we have the prophetic word, but there's no character, all right? Now, my point is this. Eli represented old revelation that was turned into a system of knowledge. He represented recycled information or recycled revelation. It's bad when you're at a church or you're in a system or you're in a house that dresses up old information and people get excited about it knowing good and well It's old. Prophetic houses always operate in fresh revelation. Again, when it's not revelation, it becomes information. All right? So Eli represented a system of knowledge. It says in chapter 3, his eyes grew dim. That word grew, it meant to, um, or excuse me, the word dim, it means to become dull or dark. All right? So we're seeing in this system this prophetic system that the eyes, or the understanding, was becoming dim and dull. Yet, they were operating in positions of leadership. So now we have a contradiction. I can't see, but I am seeing for others. Hmm? I don't have my vision, but my vision, people are dependent upon. OK? Am I? Are, is it? connecting are we talking about what's going on in modern times and days all right I my vision is dim my vision is dull my eyes are waxed over but yet people are depending on me to give the word of the Lord and when I give the word of the Lord people are so hungry for true revelation of the prophetic that they attach themselves and latch on to that thing because they are hungry and desperate for word of the Lord all right now Revelation does two things. Revelation resets and it revolutionizes. All right? So take this to your houses. Train your prophets according to this. When a word of the Lord is released, it either is a revolution and or a reset. Prophets represent God's Reset. The prophetic word represents God's reset. If you feel the unction in your spirit for God to do something in these current conditions, you more than likely are the reset. So prophets, when a word of the Lord comes in your heart or bubbles up in your spirit, It's for the conditions that you're living in right now. We are the most powerful nation in the world, yet our prophetic voice in regards to political things is very weak because we allow the culture to condition our prophetic word. You got me? All right. Samuel represented the reset or the prophetic word or the revelation that was for this time. Okay? Samuel represented the reset. We are in a time where God is raising us up to move as Samuel. If you understand, Samuel, he stayed in the temple, he laid before the altar. He laid and stayed in the presence of the Lord, all right? He was being trained to be a priest. He was was a contradiction to what the current priesthood and the prophetic were at that time. So your prophetic word, what you speak, has to spend time in the presence of the Lord. Does that make sense? What you speak has had to have been germinated or for the sake of the title, incubated in the presence of the Lord. So what you speak has to have come from God's presence. Now, it's hard for prophetic people because you're hearing all the time. You're hearing when you're carnal. You're hearing when you're in your high place, your low place. But what you hear has been filtered through what you feel. So what you feel has to align with who you serve. Does that make sense? I hear all the time. I see all the time. But how I see is dependent upon what I feel. Hmm? So you have to wrestle emotions, you have to wrestle um, anger, you have to wrestle attitudes that you may have with the person that you have to give the word to. All of these things you have to die to in order for that revelation to be pure and to do its job of resetting and revolutionizing. The word revolution in the dictionary means to overthrow a government or a social order and establish a new system. When Elijah came upon the scene, the Tishbite, he came and challenged a system to overthrow it. So prophetic words overthrow systems that are in place that cause people to be in error or cause people to not fulfill their assignment. If you can give the analogy or the example of if I am, a straight line is what, from point A to point B. So if you can imagine, I'm not going to pull over anybody to do that, but if you can imagine someone walking down a straight line, this is their destiny. The prophetic word comes and it stops them, and it resets them, and it does two things. It either takes them back to point A and points them in a different direction, or, Whatever's in a line or in front of their destination or that obstacle, it destroys it. All right? So prophecy points me into the right direction, and it resets me and so that I can walk that course appropriately and correctly in order to fulfill my destiny. The Bible says that we prophesy in part. That word part means measurement. So we prophesy in measures. So the word that I may give or the word someone else or apostle may give, it gives you a measurement or a portion of your destiny to fulfill it. Are you hearing me? All right. Now, Hophni and Phinehas, they represented the spirit that came against the current prophetic system. Hophni's name means pugilist. That simply is a fancy word for a fighter. His name meant to fight or to box. Phinehas' name meant the mouth of brass. Or, in other translations, it says the mouth of a serpent. Hear this now. So Eli essentially has set up in his prophetic system that was responsible for leading and guiding a nation something that fought and had the mouth of a serpent. So if you are not guarding your heart, if you are not walking right, if you are not aligned, your words Will become a sound that fights God's house. Hear this now. So his sons were prophetic in regard to their assignment that came against God's system mouth of a serpent, brass, and a boxer. So I have put in place two men that have been called and are designed because I did not mature them properly. I didn't mature that prophetic word properly. Now I have put in place something that is, an, uh, that, that is anti-growth or anti-prophetic. If your heart is not right, that revelation will become a weapon against the person that you speak over. It will become a sound that has no substance. It will become a sound that is anti-growth, anti-God, anti-Christ. And so I now am operating in a system that is delivering prophetic words that are causing harm to the people that I'm speaking over. Oh, your wife is this person. You need to marry them. Or your husband is this person. You need to marry them. But they are abusive. Huh? Y'all, don't, y'all must know how to deal with matchmaking spirits out here in the Northeast. Huh? That's God said don't do this because you're called to that. I don't see the ministry that you see. I don't see it, I don't see it yet. Sit sit some more son, sit some more daughter. Stay here and grow a little bit longer. But when you know it's not of God, but you submit to the authority because they represent God. And so this is the system that we are called to come against as Ecclesia, as a body of Christ. All right, almost done. the prophetic sound became an antagonist against the system of God that was put in place so Samuel was the reset that God put in place to disrupt the current system what we are who we are where we are why we are here is to disrupt the system that is in place we have a system that is promoting words that are that they have have the sound but they aren't the right sound your revelation that God gives you, that God causes you to speak over people, should liberate, should realign, should readjust, should reset, should revolutionize, should disrupt, should destroy whatever systems are in place that have caused that person to be hindered. It should do all those things and above. So if that word that is being released is not bringing freedom or deliverance, then I question the source. You got me? So now going back to our example as far as the Jezebelic system where we have prophets and prophetic people who are delivering words that are under the guise of God but God is not in it, what do we do with a generation that feels that what they're saying is of God but God's not in it? That's the question that I want you to answer. What do you do when you have a people who are moving, who are giving numbers, bank account numbers and social security numbers, and who are giving accurate words, describing houses, describing conversations, tapping and delving into dreams, and and, and all of these different things, but they are living sexually impure lives. What do you do with that? What do you do with these gifts and these talents who know God backwards and forward because they've been raised in the prophetic and they know how to tap in, they know how to pull God down, they know how to enter the supernatural, but they're dealing with their identity. They're dealing with their sexuality. They don't know if they want to be men. They don't know if they want to be women. They dress like the opposite of what God created them to be. And we have them with mics in their hands. We have them on pulpits and platforms. We have them going to convocations and and, and prophetic continuums and conferences and so on and so forth. What do you do with that knowledge knowing that God isn't in it, but yet you're in the minority of voices? Are you hearing me? How do you process that the knowledge that they're giving may be more advanced than your knowledge or understanding because they are tapping into something in some place that you dare not go but yet are seeing results in the church they're prospering let's if we can be honest they are benefiting from their merchandising of the prophetic what do you do with that how do you handle that how do you process that how do you get over those things how do you get over that knowing that you know that certain folks ain't living right, ain't doing right, but yet God seemingly is blessing their ministry. Am I talking, can we be honest? Where I can't watch YouTube or Facebook things anymore because it bothers my spirit when I hear these prophets speak and I know that they're either gay, I know that they're even um, dealing with their sexuality, I know that they need deliverance. But yet they have a platform And I'm in Philly. I'm still in the pasture in the back of the mountain, wrestling bears and lions. Huh? Am I talking to you today? How do you function knowing that God put a word of the Lord in you? You have a hear ye, hear ye, King James language, and you know that what is in you will bring deliverance to your region, to your nations. But yet the platform is so full of prophetic pollution What do you do? I tell you what you do, you become the rock. You become the rock that stops the stream and disrupts the stream and causes it to go into another direction. Your houses have to be houses that produce prophetic intelligence that will disrupt the things that are in your regions, disrupt the entities that are over your house, that would disrupt the entities that are over your cities and states and communities. You have to be the rock. You have to understand that what comes out of you is so rare. That word, it says that the word of the Lord was rare in this passage. That word rare, it meant costly. It meant precious, it meant fat, it meant valuable. So you have to understand that the prophetic word, the revelation that comes out of your mouth is costly. So, what are you willing to pay for revelation? Hmm? Can we dare say, and I want you to put this into your spirit, man, that when the devil gives you a word or the devil gives you something or speaks into it you, it's information. He's gathered it from different places, he's gathered it and collected it from your thoughts, from your conversations, or the thoughts that he's implanted in you, and then you responded to. He's gathered it based off of the generational curses that are in your life. It's easy to drum up a word and say, man of God, the Lord is on you. You have a calling on your life. He sits like a pastor. That's not by the spirit. That's just by learning and watching people. Hmm? There's a prophetic gift on you. She looks prophetic because she's watching me with prophetic eyes. That's something that you just learn in the business. But we have People that are so immature and so lacking and so desperate that we have these parlor tricks and we're passing them off as the prophetic. I don't live here. I can go home. And so what I say, if I dress it up so well, apostle, it impacts people because I know how to move prophetically. That's witchcraft. You're operating in which we don't know who is a witch and who is a prophet. Hmm? I got 16 minutes left. We don't know who is generate what this word is being generated from. We don't know the source because we're desperate for a word. Hmm? There's a scripture, and I want to say it's either, it's in one of the minor prophets, either Amos or Hosea, Forgive me for not knowing, but it talks about that there will be a time where there won't be a famine in the land or a famine of bread, but a famine of the word of the Lord. We're living on rations. We're living on a measured, metered out prophetic word because we don't realize that we're in a famine. And so what I am eating, piecemeal crackers instead of bread, I'm satisfied with it because this is all I know. And this is the generation that we see now, all they know is crackers when we have been used to the bread of life. Hmm? All they know, I'm oh, All they know is polluted water when we have been used to rivers of living water. And we have caused and have let this generation be satisfied with mud, dirty water as opposed to the pure streams of the prophetic. Why? Because we don't want to deal with the character. And I'd rather just use the gift or gifts and let the character ride out. What I teach my people is that your calling is the trifecta of the process of you becoming a prophetic or a prophet or whatever what have you. Your calling is built on your character. Your gift is built on your character. If you look at a pyramid, it's character, gift, calling. You may be called, but we're not worried about that because we have to deal with your character. Hmm? I'm a prophet of God, according to your Facebook and your your business card. But you don't understand that prophets, prophetic people, your marriage will be attacked. Your childhood will be attacked. You have to understand that prophets and prophetic people go through trauma that is different than other than normal trauma. You will have dealt with abuse and rejection, sometimes sexual abuse, molestation, and you have to understand that these things have shaped you and made you who you are in a good sense, but you still have to be delivered from it. And if you wear your baggage on the pulpit, your baggage now becomes the baggage of the people that you minister to. And your prophetic words and your revelation becomes the baggage and the issues and the concerns that other people now are responsible for carrying because you didn't get free. Hmm? I told Apostle the other day, my life truly is the life of a prophet that I'm living now. So there are certain things that you will go through and there are certain things that will shape you and design you and customize you to deliver the word because God has to trust the vessel that the word is coming out of. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for listening to the Ecclesia Global Podcast, where once again, we believe in the sovereign move of the Lord to reform the church and the spheres of society globally. We'll see you next time.